It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Find us online at livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you today. How are you, sir? Oh, good. Good to be here. Yeah, I think we've got a great show on tap today. We're going to cover uh, a lot of ground, but we're going to have a little fun along the way. We've got a little storytelling. We're going to talk about the 401k trap, a very useful and new document that you guys have put together, uh, an awesome guide, in fact, that talks about the importance of planning for retirement, the role of the 401k, our reliance on it, um, all sorts of issues that we're going to cover today. But I like, Brian, that you really want to start off today's show by doing a little storytelling, looking at a little bit of history to kind of uncover how we got here. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be maybe the most fun part of the show here out of the gate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Nothing but fun for me on uh, pension history. How about? (laughs) And and that's the place to begin, pension history. The reason that the 401k is even a thing these days is because pensions aren't what they used to be. In fact, Mm -hmm. in your document, the 401k trap, which, by the way, we're going to put a link to this special report in the description of today's show. So go check that out if you want to follow along with us through parts of the show. But definitely after the show, go and download that print it out, look at it on your devices, read through it. Um, Very useful uh, piece of information there for you. And it's going to cover a lot of what we get into on the show today. But the reason that the 401k has so much attention today is because of the changes to pensions over the years. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of people really probably don't understand the true history behind pensions and just how rich of a history there is when it comes to pensions in this country. Yeah, the paper really starts with how retirement has changed just over the last couple of generations because largely we've looked at retirement and age 65 as this sort of sacred number like that. That's how it's always been. Retirement at 65 was was a thing. And the the simple fact of the matter is it wasn't the if you if you go way back, the Romans had actually were, were some of the first uh, inventors or uh, a- appliers of the pension idea because their soldiers w- at a younger age had their you know most you know useful productive years but oftentimes when they you know retired they, because of age they couldn't perform as well they actually had uh, military pensions and you know that was would have been a couple thousand years ago and it was not a widespread societal thing it was it was very much isolated to military and and military soldiers. And it really wasn't until the late 1800s that the pension that we know of today, that maybe your parents or your grandparents had, really moved into the the common and and, uh, the industrial era. Because prior to that, everything was very agrarian. And you had you know, larger families. Families took care of each other. They you, know, you had multi generations in one place. The industrial era era really uprooted that, moved people to the cities, uh, moved people around geographically, and you know we we came off the farm into these you know, big established companies. But the age of retirement, the age of sixty five, that we all you know navigate around and and plan for today, also had a political background. Uh, from my general understanding of this, I don't, I'm not a historian for sure, but uh, if you want to fact check this, but in the late 1800s, the German political scene and economy were 
we're getting a little bit top heavy with senior bureaucrats and and administrators and and politicians and so Otto von Bismarck actually introduced in 1889 a retirement age of it was either 70 or 65 at the time uh, it, but it eventually ended up at 65 because what that did was it forced politicians bureaucrats a lot of these people that were blocking up the system and and sitting on jobs that younger people wanted they they needed this younger population to move up into the into the workforce and so he implemented a a retirement age and that uh, that that really got us kicked off on the you know age 65 retirement again it wasn't like designed to be a do good thing or let's help people out it it, would, it actually had a very political motive behind it to to help move people along so anyway that that happened and then uh probably in about what 1875 i believe american express was one of the first private pension plans in the country so about the same time private pensions were becoming a thing and american companies were implementing them this age phenomenon was was percolating up out of germany and those those two merged and pensions and retirement at 65 fed very much into the design of the social security system uh in 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 the 1930s so that was way back if you look way back of how, how we even got to pensions in the grand scheme of things they're a relatively new invention that's pretty amazing i didn't think we were going to go all the way back to roman military history though that was, <laughs> that's a new uh, fun fact for the show today in addition to um you know some of the things that were happening in the late 1800s because i've heard really more of the concept of retirement still being a relatively new thing like in most cultures across the world the idea of retiring and no longer working and having this sort of like, you know, second phase of life is still a relatively new concept. And I think even if we look back to these 1800s, there's this big underlying problem, too, of retirement was defined as what, probably a couple of years long, if that. And that's exactly. been one of the big changes. Precisely. Yeah. Re retirement has become a multi-decade phenomenon now. Whereas in the past, I mean, to say that you worked right up until you died maybe would be a, a little bit of an overstatement, but you basically worked as long as you could. And yeah, you had three to five years of, of retirement. Maybe and a better way to say that is a planned retirement is a relatively newer, newer there concept. There you go. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Uh, forced retirement's been around for a long time, and um, but it's interesting to see that we the solutions for forced retirement have just also been used and maybe morphed over time into now the planned retirement side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the idea originally, I think we've mentioned this before with Social Security in the title, it's old age and survivors disability insurance. It was not meant to be something that you collected in some prime of your life, it was meant for true survivors and, and people that statistically beat the odds. Because when Social Security was started, the claiming age was 65, but life expectancy was 62. In other words, you were never supposed to get it. <laughs> a little bit of a numbers trick there, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, to prevent retirement or, or old age poverty, that, that was the design of, of Social Security. And so now it's, it, it has changed very dramatically where people are retiring quite healthy at 65 and, and again, maybe living for a couple of decades. That gets into the problems of 
what's going on with Social Security, but uh, we've, we've talked about that before as well. So as we start to go through, continue with the history lesson, if you will, late 1800s leads us into the 1900s. How did things start to shift and change as we went through that century? Yeah, so as you get into the 1920s and, and 30s, you, you probably had 200, 300 you know, major uh, companies with private pension plans. This, this had become a thing to attract and retain better workers and you know care for people so that, I don't know if it was a benevolence thing or a PR thing, but you know they just had the idea to make sure people were cared for in retirement. And so these, these private pensions were started. Uh, interestingly, it overlaps. It's, it's, it's interesting to me also how benefits have gotten tied to employment. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but, but during World War II, wage freezes and uh, wage caps were established by the government because the military companies were trying to attract the best people. And they were raising wages to do it. And so it was making it difficult for others to compete. And so when the wage freezes were implemented, the idea of employer-sponsored insurance became a way to give people a pay raise you know, a, that, that didn't qualify under the wage freeze and allow them to attract a, a, you know, the better employees. So you've got pensions coming into play through your employer. You've got health insurance provided through your employer, interestingly, through, because of government regulation. And, and so we've gotten to a point today where we just take for granted that these are things that our employers should provide. But again, as we'll talk about in a minute, that, that landscape is, is shifting. And one of the big shifts occurred because of a specific car company in the 1960s. Uh, you've all heard of, well, I, I won't reveal just, just who yet, but in the 60s, there was a car company that was trying to get established. The workers had their little pension plan built up and management was short of capital. And so they went to the union and said, hey, got an idea. You know, we need a little bit of capital. We're, we're about to get going here. If you'll let us use the funds in the pension plan, once we you know, get back to profitability or you know, take off, we'll, we'll replenish the pension and, and at a higher rate. And so we'll benefit and you'll benefit. And the union voted to, you know, to go along with this and, and they took the pension funds and, and put it into the company. Well, that company was called Edsel. And if anybody has any recollection of car models of the time, the Edsel did not fare very well. It, it sort of launched and then very quickly died. And the pension, the, the workers and the pension for Edsel that should have been protected was now gone. I mean, it was truly gone. And so it took a little while to, into the early 70s where the federal government got involved and they passed a law called ERISA, E-R-I-S-A, the Employer Retirement Income Security Act. And that was the first major piece of legislation that said, hey, there's got to be limits to what you can do with your pension plan, what types of investments that you can put in there. This, this isn't a free-for-all. This isn't a hedge fund. This isn't a, a speculation thing. These need to be managed safely and uh, you know, in, in the best interest of the employees. And so what also was happening at that time was life expectancies were extending. And so people were living longer and these pensions were, you know, they, they were privately run and, and these companies were responsible for making sure they were adequately funded. And they could see pretty quickly that based on these new life expectancies and extended longevity, their pensions were very underfunded. And 
part of the ERISA and some of the following uh, legislation that came out, uh, the Revenue Act specifically, one, required pensions to become fully funded. So the, the companies were on the hook to add dollars to these pension funds. And then the uh, Revenue Act of 1978 paved the way for 401ks, almost accidentally. Well, companies saw this as an opportunity to exit the long-term liability of pension plans, but yet still provide an employee benefit with the 401k, the 401k match, uh, get tax deferral and all those things. So, so really in the 70s, private companies were onto the shift. They saw the uh, additional costs coming. The government was regulating and mandating that they catch up to their funding liabilities. And so they, in their you know, best interest, I guess, exited providing long-term pensions. They made this shift to the 401k, which would be a defined cost to them. You get your match, you get your profit sharing plan potentially, or whatever it is, but they weren't on the hook for your entire life. They gave you a defined benefit, a defined contribution that you were going to make to the 401k plan. And, and then that would be your money transportable to a, an IRA at, at the time. So anyway, the the same things that caused pensions to become poorly funded, uh, you know, needing needing to be something that companies wanted to get out of, are the same things that are weighing on Social Security today. But the government didn't necessarily have the political will to tackle the problem or or you know increase the funding of it. They've sort of kicked the can down the road. So that's maybe a little bit of a long tangent on the history of pensions and pensions in the United States, but uh, the, the idea that it was an employer-sponsored program and that the employer was on the hook for making sure it was fully funded, matched with these longer long, uh, life expectancies, uh, really created the shortage, the elimination, or the lack of pensions for most employees today. So what was worse, the Etzel or the Yugo? <laughs> there's a name i haven't heard in a long time i'm gonna go with yugo <laughs> <laughs> the edsel just never really got going the yugo got going but then uh, lots of other things happened <laughs> yeah it was uh, different, uh was a yugo was the 80s wasn't it yeah yeah i think it was mid 80s i want to say yeah. something like that no, no lack of bad cars out there. That's right. That's right. We used to have a, uh, you ever listen to like a swap shop radio show where people call in back before Craigslist days, um, although they're still going on now. They'll still have radio shows that are that are like this where just people in the community call in. Hey, I got a, you know, uh, I got an old refrigerator I'm selling. Somebody can come get it today for $200, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, wh- where I lived in uh, in high school and where I got my start in radio was uh, running the soundboard and uh, taking calls and setting things up for the local swap shop show. No other show on that station generated as many calls as that swap shop show. Isn't that crazy? It was, it was hilarious. Some of the calls that we would get and the, some of the things that people would list were just out of this world. Now, a lot of people used it legitimately. And then we had a couple of folks that would call every week with some some random item, and you could tell they were just messing around. Mm-hmm. But my favorite was uh, a guy would call in each week disguising himself as like an old lady and um, and would always be trying to sell a Yugo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
it was just uh, it was a hilarious bit every every week he would call in trying to get that yugo sold just net that's funny just can't get it sold again this week huh yeah still, still on the market <laughs> you know that's good stuff but fantastic well i i learned a lot on uh on on the show today so far and we've just kind of gone through the history of pension plans interesting i brian i mean before we move on to, to really diving into the 401k side now in this transition point that happens in history it just sounds to me like looking back companies should have maybe never gotten into the pension game i mean is that sort of one of the the lessons learned here am i off base and kind of coming away with that impression of like that was just a bad road for a lot of companies to go down well when they did the math setting those up they did it based on assumptions of the day you know the the idea that you were going to have a you know three to ten year retirement uh you've got an x number of employees I, I think it was just a match of them trying to attract people but then also protecting people because at you know at the end of the day there's a lot of people that have trouble uh saving and making the disciplined decisions that they need to be truly financially self-reliant because I mean, stuff happens emergencies come up and you have kids and medical things and so it was really a uh, safety and protection type of thing. I, I, obviously, the union movement probably had a big push towards, you know, helping get benefits and, and security for, for, for workers. So I, 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 don't, I don't know that it was necessarily all altruistic or all, you know, self-interest of the, the companies, but it was, it, it is what it is. And it, but just in what we've talked about, I think the key takeaway is, is these ideas or tenets that we think of as perfectly normal, established status quo ideas. No, they've, they've changed, you know, uh, in relatively short periods of time. You know, we, we think of you know, 100 or 150 years as being a long time. But in the grand scheme of things, these are new ideas in a changing society. And they're morphing to uh, adapt to that you know, just, just over, over time based on reality. So through our history lesson, we now get to this transition point to the 401k as the primary driver for retirement savings and planning. And with that comes a big shift in a lot of things, not just the financials and the plans, but the mentality and the burden is no longer on the companies. It shifts mm -hmm. back to the worker. And that's how you get to this whole idea, right, or this saying that, you know, this, this ain't your grandfather's retirement. It's now a totally different way of preparing for retirement for the next generation. Well, and that's where, really where we start with the paper is just in the last couple of generations, what has been the big shift in retirement? So my grandparents and even my parents, they tended to work for one company for most or if not all of their career, uh, maybe just military service or something like that. And, and then 30, 35, 40 years with the company, you had a pension, you had a little bit of social security. And if you'd saved up a little bit of money, you had these three pillars to retire on, two of which were checks coming on a regular basis, like a paycheck, from your employer and from the federal government with Social Security. And so the burden on you to have enough savings to withstand the longevity, rising healthcare costs, all those things, was really minimal on the individual. The, the burden on the individual was minimal. And so if you even talk today, I have a lot of people come into my office and I have people come in with some large 401k and savings balances, but they don't have the pension. And maybe because of their tax bracket, they're, they're having the bulk of their social security taxed. And if I contrast that 
to uh, other couples who come in that maybe had, uh, they maybe were teachers, military, uh, had some kind of a job that did have a nice pension. And, and I met a couple that had two really solid pensions. They did not have a huge amount of savings. Those were the most relaxed people I've ever talked to about hmm. retirement because those checks were coming from somebody else. They, they, they had their regular paycheck coming in. Whereas the people who have a large balance, you would think they would be the least anxious, you know, the most secure because they've got this big nest egg. Oftentimes they're the most nervous because they don't have these, these other uh, pension elements to provide predictable income. They know the entire burdens on them. They've got to make the right decisions with their portfolio. They've got to be mindful of taxes. Uh, they've got to make decent investments that will last. They've got to keep up with inflation. And, and so there is a real difference in, in the level of concern and anxiety, if you will, between people who have good, solid pensions and people who are trying to manage their own. It's like the uh, the tightrope walker or, um, you know, the, the high-flying trapeze artists. If you operate with a net, you tend to have a little bit more fun with it, do more flips or, you know, take a few more chances, and you just kind of get to enjoy yourself a little bit more because you have that safety net established versus someone who's doing it without that safety net, maybe doing something that's more impressive and may have a really good performance, but whew, they're sweating it the whole time, right, having to right. be extra careful and maybe having a little less fun through the whole experience. Well, one, uh, th this is a little bit of a tangent here, but it, if you look at lottery winners, you know, pe people always say, well, if you had won the lottery, would you take the lump sum or would you take the 20-year uh, annuity? And mathematically, taking the lump sum might be your best option because you get the money up front, you can invest it, you can you can do a lot with it. But when I was at Merrill Lynch, there was a advisor who had obtained a group of people that had gone into it and, and they, they won the Powerball. It was like 60 some million dollars. There was probably 25 or 30 winners and everybody got a couple million dollars out of it. Within 18 months, I would say 75% of them had spent all or most of the money. Another handful had you know, a few hundred thousand or 500,000 left over. And there were only a couple people that actually had a, you know, over a million dollars 18 months into this. And the reality is, is when money falls into your lap or you've got sudden wealth, this is more of a sudden wealth phenomenon, more so than somebody who's saved and, and built this up over their life. But uh, if you take the annuity option, you've got 20 chances to screw up. Mm -hmm. If you take the lump sum, you got one chance and you better get it right. So it's uh, maybe somewhat of a comparison. Yeah, no, I think that is definitely a, a good comparison. In the 401k trap um, that you guys have put together here, by the way, we'll put a link to the PDF in the description of today's show. Once again, if you want to follow along and look at that with us, you've got a great illustration, a great graphic here that I think will help drive this home for folks where you have you know, kind of uh, the retirement income uh, success blueprint, if you will, the, the pillar of retirement income. And not all of the pillars are strong and straight right now. And that's part of the big 401k trap. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, if you, if you looked at retirement as having three pillars, pensions, social security, and then your personal saving, today, the pension's gone. People change employers multiple times. Oftentimes, a pension's not even an option. Uh, sometimes you have to be there for 10 years to qualify. And a lot of people don't even stay at single employers for long enough to qualify for pensions if they have them. So I look at the pension column as being broken, if not gone for, for most people. The second pillar, social security, well, it's, it's good. It's 
it's solid. It, it will be there. And we, we talked about this a little bit last time, but even if there's a funding shortfall, that's a pay as you go system and they'll, they'll simply raise taxes or, uh, you know, increase the taxability of it, whatever. So I don't want to scare people and make them think social security is going away, but that pillar is looking a little weak. You know, my social security taxes went up 8% one year. And so I like to tease with my audiences when I would do uh, live seminars, uh, especially to retirees. I said, now my social security taxes went up 8% last year. I said, did you all enjoy that 8% cost of living adjustment? Huh, what? <laughs> Everybody's looking around the room like, what, what, what the heck is he talking about? Well, the reality is, is they got a 0.3% cost of living adjustment. So social security taxes are going up at a rate far faster than cost of living adjustments are going up. So th those are the kinds of things that are happening in the social security space that, you know, just they're going to continue to have to shore it up. But again, the, the pillar is weak at, at best. And so that leaves personal savings as the main fundamental pillar that we're relying on for retirement and uh, income security in older age and retirement. And so what comes with that is not only the burden of managing this and making good investment decisions and taxes and all the things that I've talked about, but what doesn't get stressed enough is the longevity risk. And that's just a fancy way of saying, how do you manage for extended life expectancies? Well, we don't know what our individual life expectancy is going to be. And it can, you know, based on medical issues or, or other things, it could change dramatically from what we originally project. So how, how can you spend with this level of uncertainty? You want to do all these fun things in the short run. You want to get the most out of uh, you know, retirement and, and your healthy active years in retirement. But at the same time, you have to stress and worry about, well, is there going to be enough for if I need long-term care, if health costs go up? And, and so all of this longevity risk and, and for the surviving spouse falls on the individual now. So whereas a pension, it, that's a pooled risk. You've got hundreds, if not thousands of people in relying on one pot of money. And so everybody contributes the same. The people who don't live as long don't collect as much. And the people who live a long time collect, you know, for their whole life. But that's the trade-off between an individual risk and a pooled risk. And so Social Security works a lot the same way. You pay Social Security taxes. If you die before you qualify, you, your surviving spouse or survivors may, may qualify for some things. But for all effective purposes, you're not getting any benefit. If you live to 100 and you started at age 62, you've, you've collected uh, a lot more on Social Security. Well, that risk is that lends itself very well to large groups of people. You, you can average that out. You can do the math, and, and, and it actually is, is a pretty easy thing to manage. Whereas individually, uh, I, I think people are holding back on doing the things they want to do because they're more worried about running out of money later in retirement. I love the image of this retirement income structure being held up by these different pillars, and this is how we make it through retirement. And since you mentioned the Romans earlier in the show as, uh, you know, relation to the original pensions, I think, you know, we can extend that metaphor a little bit more. And so the pension pillar was built first, but uh, age has taken its toll on, on that. And the changing world and the changing landscape, it's just crumbled at this point. It no longer is sufficient to hold up a building of today's current retirement income. 
Social Security, meanwhile, was well-built originally, but with materials that maybe don't weather the storms well over time. And that's why we're starting to see some cracks and some bends in that particular pillar. Meanwhile, the more modern pillar, personal savings, is holding strong. The 401k looks good from its your initial look at it, but now it's facing outside assaults. Uh, you know, the Visigoths are now attacking the the personal savings <laughs> pillar, and that's and that's something like taxes. Um, can, can we equate the taxes to the to the Visigoths of coming in and attacking our personal savings? And we've got to hold that last pillar, or else we're in big trouble. Well, a- absolutely, and and the way they're going to attack is going to be with higher taxes. I would argue means testing of Social Security, and and you're going to have to be at a, a either a top income or, or super high net worth, worth bracket to really have it eliminated. But what they did in the 80s was they made Social Security benefits above a certain income taxable. Well, let me, let me break this down. If, if you make too much money, we're not going to cut your benefit, but we're going to pay you the full benefit and then we're going to make it hit your 1040 tax return and then you're going to end up giving a little bit of it back. So your social security benefit does a little round trip. You get it, and then it comes it comes right back as as revenue to to the uh, to the treasury. So uh, what that was was just means testing. I said, well, you're you're a rich guy. You got all, you make over forty four thousand dollars a year. We're we're just going to tax eighty five percent of your benefit. So if you look to what they've done in the past, what might they do in the future? Well, if you've been responsible, if you've saved, if if you've got a you know significant net worth savings and income because of dividends and IRA distributions and all of those things, I would have to say there's probably some risk to increased means testing or increased taxability of, of Social Security. So that's, that's one issue. And then one thing that we talked about last time was there was some research that indicates that contributing to 401k may actually increase your lifetime taxes. And the idea is that you should be contributing to a 401k where when you're in a high income tax bracket with the idea that in retirement, you'll be in a lower bracket to pull that money out. Well, they set these uh, dollar amounts for the taxability of social security back in the eighties and did not index them for inflation. So what was a respectable number, you know, 40, 45 years ago has become a number that most people are going to cross. And once you cross that threshold, now, like I said, 50 to 85% of your social security benefit is going to be taxed. And, and, and as that continues in the, into the future, you've got to have a strategy in place where you can control and manage and have access to your funds without tripping over some of those tax hurdles that are, that are lurking out there. And, and, and there's, there's more complexity to the retirement income taxability maybe than W-2 income. So what we've, what we've outlined in the paper is it's called the ideal allocation matrix. And if you look at the tax treatment or the tax structures, you know, so regular brokerage, tax-deferred IRAs, tax-free Roths, and cash value life insurance, what mix of those different account types would be ideal to have in retirement? Well, the window for getting money into 401ks is quite small. So we've mapped out if you had 40% in regular taxable account structures, brokerage accounts, savings, there's a lot you can do to earn preferential dividends, long-term capital gains, municipal bond income, 
all of those are taxed at very favorable rates today. Then your tax deferred accounts, IRAs, 401ks, deferred compensation plans, deferred annuities, defined benefits, there's a whole host of account types here, 403Bs if you're in the nonprofit sector. Those are tax deferred and this is where you should own things that are producing taxable income. Real estate investment trust, taxable bonds, master limited partnerships, uh, preferred stocks would be a good category in that in that mix. So if you've got these different mix of, mix of accounts and, and tax treatments, you can put the assets that give you the optimal benefit into these different account structures. Well, most people rely almost entirely today on the 401k. They don't have a lot of uh, you know, brokerage accounts or you know, they've, they've not funded the Roths because the, the window of opportunity wasn't there. So you've got to find other ways to, to do these things. And then the, the final bracket would be the, the tax-free bucket. If you could get 20% of your funds into tax-free categories, either through Roth conversions or now they have the Roth 401k option available. Uh, you've got, you, you could look at lo uh, long-term care insurance as being tax-free. Uh, you could allocate some money to that for, for that need a very specific need down the road. All of these combined together, 40% taxable, 40% tax deferred, 20% tax free. If you can reach retirement with that optimal mix and allocation of investments and tax structures, you will be able to better manage your tax situation. You can avoid hitting these tax traps uh, one and a good one would be, uh, and I'll give you an example. If you if you needed to move into a continuing care facility, you, you had a big upfront payout that was required to get in, and let's let's say it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, if you needed two hundred fifty thousand dollars and all of your money is in four hundred one k, you've got to go take out not only two hundred fifty thousand dollars but enough to pay the taxes on that distribution. And so you're looking at taking out three, three hundred and fifty, maybe four hundred thousand dollars at one time just to net out the you know two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand that you need in cash. Well, if you had had money building up in your Roth or in your brokerage account uh, that had a you know cost basis to it, you would have other places to go to get this lump sum and not trigger a giant tax bill and cause your Medicare supplement premiums to go up. Uh, or you know potentially lose other deductions because you're now all of a sudden in a very high income tax bracket. I know that may be a little confusing, so if you didn't follow along 100%, uh, fear not. We can uh, we can do another lap if you've got questions. And I think it also just it will help you visually for sure with this, and that's why we put the link to the 401k trap PDF. So you can read through some of this, get some reinforcement from what we're talking about on the show, but also see some of these graphics that make it a lot easier to understand this breakdown that you're talking about, Brian, and how we can see sort of these different elements, these different accounts into the different categories and see you know, what that ratio, what that breakdown should look like. And that also makes it really easy to tell, you know, are you way out of whack, you know, with some of these with some of these things. If almost all of your money is in that 401k and not in some of these other accounts and you're, you know, 90% instead of, you know, uh, the more reasonable numbers that you've drawn out here, I think that's just also a nice little way to see, okay, am I doing well? Am I on track? Um, do I have this needed balance or not? Um, that, that should make it really easy for folks. So I yeah, do encourage folks to go, make sure you go download and look at that PDF that we link to in the description of the show. 
Yeah, and and if not, what can you be doing about it today? And if you're if you're in your fifties or early sixties or maybe even retired early, there's actually a lot of things that you can do depending on your income and the tax brackets to begin moving assets into these other categories. So if, if you're vectoring in on retirement and don't have this exact structure, fear not. There, there's plenty of time and things that you can do to move in that direction and, and be and still be tax smart today. And this this really even applies to high income individuals because I still have the discussion around the Roth 401k with high earners. And this could be a two income household or, or one very high income uh, individual. Most of those people are going to end up with money left over, money that they're leaving to their heirs. And so if you get hung up on doing the calculation of, well, I'm in a high tax bracket today, so I should take advantage of the tax deduction with the 401k, that may be true. But if you run this out long term and look at what they've done with the, the change in the stretch IRA rules for your beneficiaries, if there's a likelihood that you're going to have money left over or you do need a lump sum, it may be worth paying the taxes today and getting the entire amount into a Roth that, that you can qualify for today. So you, you could, it can be argued both ways mathematically, but um, it, as an opportunity in an increasing tax rate environment, uh, the Roth just, you should not miss out on opportunities to contribute to that. You mentioned there's still time to correct these things and uh, make good decisions and prepare properly for retirement. But at the same time, and I don't want to end the show on a down note, but this problem of the 401k trap will not go away. Uh, and th- th- there are no solutions, I think, to some of the major problems facing us, at least none that aren't extremely painful solutions <laughs> for somebody in our country to fix some of these major glaring issues that we face with the 401k trap and why it is so important to properly allocate and, and be in all the right places and, and do all this due diligence when it comes to retirement planning. Am, am I wrong there, Brian? I don't see any way that these problems go away anytime soon. That's, that's, this 401k trap is here to stay. There are trillions of dollars in retirement plans across the country, and somebody at the IRS and Department of Revenue knows that. And they control and make the rules about distributions, uh, required minimum distribution ages. All of the decisions and the legislation coming out of Washington regarding retirement plans does not come from the benevolence side of the, the federal government. It's people in the revenue side that are making the rules and regulations. So if they're extending required minimum distribution ages, it looks like a good thing. But the reality is, is now your account's going to grow longer and you're at an older age. And so your future distributions are actually going to be higher. So a lot of the things that they're doing that look like, oh, this is, this is a win for us. We, we get to wait till 72. And, and I predict by 20. 30 or so, we'll, maybe sooner, we'll be at age 75 before you have to start t- taking mandatory distributions. Well, no, that, that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it because you're, you're going to have had more growth and more compounding. You're going to be older, so the, the numerator's higher, the divisor's lower, and you're just going to get bigger distributions and higher taxes in the future. And if tax rates go up on top of that, that compounds the problem. It, it, no, it's not going on. Long answer to your question, but yes. 
Yeah, it's good to uh, make sure that all of our cards are on the table. That is for sure. Um, Get off my soapbox here. That's right. That's right. Uh, this is a great document. Again, it's uh, it's not too long, so it's easy to, to read and make your way through. Um, but it's also in-depth enough to where you're going to definitely learn a few things and uh, have probably a few things brought to your attention that maybe you haven't thought about before. It's the 401k trap. Definitely download this. You can get it at livingworth.com. But also, of course, we're going to put a link directly to it in the description or the show notes section of today's show. So go check that out. It's the 401k trap, and uh, you'll be glad that you've downloaded that and read it. And it's pretty, too, you know, on top Absolutely, of that. Absolutely, yeah. It's got some and, good and, colors and, me, and graphics and lots of good stuff. <laughs> let me add to that, Walter. If, you, if you're retired or you're in retirement and, and taking distributions and all of this sounds interesting but doesn't quite sound applicable to you, download this document or send the link to your children or your grandchildren. Because the same concepts apply, especially to future generations, because they actually have time to do more about it. I'll also tell you it might be a good idea if you're thinking about retirement in the near future or just wondering about your overall preparation level for retirement. Take the Retirement Mindset Quiz. It is at livingworth.com. And again, we link to that in uh, every show as well, where you can go and take a quick quiz, find out kind of where you stand in terms of your retirement preparation, and that'll present some additional ideas and things to think about as well. That's at livingworth.com. And again, we'll link to it in the description of today's show. Brian, I enjoyed the history lesson on pensions today and talking a little bit more about this 401k trap. In fact, I'll point out one other resource that we'll link to in the description of today's show. We're full of resources today. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can just very easily on your podcast app, go back and listen to episodes 30 and 31. If you missed those episodes, we go into even more detail about 401ks, some of the threats to retirement, lots of other good issues there uh, that are discussed in those episodes that are related to this topic and might be uh, really good to consult with. So yeah, go check that out too, episodes 30 and 31 of the podcast. And while you're at it, then just listen to all the rest of the episodes and you'll be really well educated. Yeah, good good advice, good advice. (laughs) Brian, thank you so much for the help and the guidance. This is great. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you on the next episode. Sounds great. Thanks, Walter. All right, that's Brian Doe. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time out to join us today. Have a great rest of your day and week. And we'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.